In the year 1925, amidst the rubble from the war to end all wars, Pope Pius XI instituted the feast day of Christ the King. Fearful that his flock was being scattered by the false gods of nationalism, communism, and fascism, Pius sought to remind the faithful that Jesus has ultimate authority and ultimate power. And to make the finality of Christ even clearer, the feast day was moved to the last Sunday of the church year in 1970. So given that history, today's gospel reading should seem a little bit odd to you. If you had to pick a story about Jesus that told you something about how powerful Jesus is, you might pick a story where Jesus turns water into wine or raises someone from the dead. If you wanted a story about how Jesus is the true lawgiver, you might pick a story where Jesus actually gives someone a new law to follow. If you want a story about Jesus' authority, you might choose a prophecy from before his birth. Instead, you get a story about Jesus' mere heartbeats away from death. So we're invited to reflect on the power of Jesus at a moment when Jesus has no power at all. Now, usually, when we hear this story, we're thinking about Good Friday, Passion Sunday. But on the last day of the church year, we might think about it a different way. Not by asking what it has to teach us about power and authority and laws, but by asking what it has to teach us about time. Now, there are two dominant ways we think about time in our culture. One way we understand time is something linear or something with direction to it. Hours and days, years and decades, pushing us towards something new. This way of thinking is embedded in our language. We talk about moving on as if we can leave things behind and reinvent ourselves. We talk about getting on the right side of history as if progress is inevitable and irreversible. And of course, we have that language of personal growth and spiritual growth, as if you can chart our lives on a PowerPoint. And we often assume a linear view of time in church, too. Maybe you've noticed our hymnal lists, weddings, and funeral liturgies under the heading Life Passages. We often think of baptisms and confirmations the same way. You go through life, and you have a series of rituals that helps you mark time in some way. And because time is linear, you only do them once. You get baptized once. You get confirmed once. You get a funeral once. The exception to this, which is marriage, just proves the rule. It's perfectly normal for people to divorce and remarry, but it would be weird if your wedding vow was to love, honor, and cherish your partner until divorce do you part. You're supposed to act like you're only going to do it once. But this way of thinking about time has a very clear downside to it. If time is linear then time is scarce. To use the old cliche, there is no time like the present, literally. So every second of every day has to be maximized to its full potential. The idea of leisure, of rest, of doing something just because you enjoy doing it seems almost absurd to us. You remember there's that old scene in Downton Abbey where Maggie Smith asks what a weekend is, and the joke is that she doesn't work, so she doesn't know what a weekend is. We have the opposite experience, right? What is a weekend? It's just like every other day of the week. Earlier this month, I got a flyer for a youth ministry event happening in our area. 
Typical youth ministry stuff, pizza, board games, devotion, service project. And at the bottom of the flyer, in big letters, it said, this event counts for community service hours, which is a coded way of saying this event is worth your time because it will help you get into college. It will do something for you in the future. It's not good enough to just make friends and play games and help other people. It has to help you get ahead in some way. The other way we often think about time is as a cycle. We do the same things over and over and over again. We have a school calendar that repeats the same events every year. We have a cycle of seasons we experience every year. We have an election cycle which seems to just roll on constantly. And we're used to doing this in church, too. We have festivals we celebrate over and over and over again. We don't say, well, we celebrated Christmas last year, and I think everyone remembers the basic idea, so we're going to skip it this year. You come back to the same days again and again and again. But this way of thinking about time has a clear downside to it, too. If time is cyclical, it gives us the illusion that we can return to an earlier time and just keep doing things the way they were. This past summer, we had an interment here, and while we were waiting around before the service, one of the family members asked if he could see the sanctuary. So I brought him in, I flipped the lights on, and he looks around and he says, you're going to think I'm making this up, this is verbatim. He says, it looks exactly the same as it did when I was a kid. It's so nice to know that even though everything changes out there, I can come back to church and it's like nothing has changed at all. The way we think about time determines how we act. If time is linear, then salvation lies in the future, and you better hustle to make sure you go get it. And if time is cyclical, then salvation lies in the past, and you need to try to recreate whatever used to work. So it's remarkable that Luke's Jesus doesn't think about time this way. In today's Gospel reading, Jesus speaks with two criminals next to him during his crucifixion. And we are likely tempted to focus on Jesus forgiving his persecutors or seeming to forgive the criminal by his side. But the most provocative word in the story is one that we probably skip over when we hear this. Today. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Not you were with me in paradise a few weeks ago, but things have taken a turn. Not you will be with me in paradise after we die and go up to heaven. Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise today. Today is Luke's way of focusing our attention on what's happening right now. Many of the characters in Luke's gospel are really people like us. They're easily distracted by their anxiety about the future, and they're in despair about whatever's happened in the past. They think their redemption is somewhere off in a future they'll never get to see, or it's already happened in the past, and maybe they missed it. But wherever Jesus goes in Luke's gospel, people find their salvation is actually right there in front of them, right here, right now, today. Here's a selection of that from Luke's Gospel. Today, to you, a Savior is born. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, we have seen marvelous things. Today, salvation has happened in this house. And then today's reading, 
Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus promises to be with us and for us here and now, today. Even the word paradise, which we usually think of as a place, is really about time. The Greek word for paradise is used two other times in the New Testament. Both of them are references to that garden God made for the first humans. And that garden is important, not because it's a place on a map or something, but because it tells us what God intends for humanity. Equity, reciprocity, trust, dignity. But for those of us who've settled down outside of Eden, there's no way to get back in. If you think time is cyclical, no matter how hard you try, there's no way to turn back the clock and reclaim it. You can never get back into Eden again. And there's another paradise in the scriptures, too. Not at the beginning, but at the end. One that imagines what it will be like when God and God's ways of being are fully manifest in the world. Psalm 46, which we sang earlier this morning, imagines it as a city where the nations live in peace. A city where God breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shield with fire. Do we live in a world where wars have ceased to the ends of the earth? Obviously not. It feels impossibly far off in the future. It feels as far off and remote as that first paradise. So to those of us who live in between, who live east of Eden and in the western suburbs of the city of God, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You will have the relationship, the covenant, the trust that God intends for all creation. So when you think you are beyond redemption, when you think you are beyond hope, when you think you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, Jesus says that paradise is here and now because God is here. So whenever we think that goodness can only be found in the past, whenever our nostalgia curdles into myth-making, whenever we give up something good for something we know, Jesus says he's present today. And whenever our hope cheapens into optimism, whenever our striving for justice devolves into utopian schemes, whenever our confidence in God turns into hubris in ourself, Jesus says he's present today. It's precisely between those two paradises, between joy and despair, between hope and anxiety, between redemption and carnage, that Jesus promises to meet us. And he does, at the font, around the table, in the word, and through one another. And truly, or truly today, we are with God in paradise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. invite the assembly to stand as we join the church around the world confessing our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. 